and worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, you can be seated. Thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at MetroLife Church. It's a privilege to be here with you. For those who may be guests for the first time this week, uh, I was out last week, and it's good to be home. Uh, it's good to be home with uh, my home church, and I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to be in uh, Minnesota last week, but uh, I missed you guys, and I'm grateful to be back. Uh, I do want to just take a moment. Uh, we do this as a part of our service to our, our our, those who are in fourth through sixth grade can be in here and be a part of worship, but we actually are going to take a moment to dismiss them now. So if you're here and you have a, a preteen in that kind of age group, fourth through sixth grade, they can make their way to class. They will make their way back in uh, at the close of the service so they can be in here for worship and for the benediction as well. And uh, thank you for those who are serving our fourth through sixth graders. We've got some exciting updates on that coming in the coming weeks. Uh, I also want to let you know that our fall term of community groups are now live on our website. Uh, as of, fresh as of this morning, uh, Eric texted me a gentle reminder. And so I said, well, is this a gentle and lowly reminder? And he said, I'm not Jesus. Just get it done. And so, uh, so our non-Jesus deacon uh, who oversees our community groups wants you to know, actually, you might have had to already run the community group uh, leader Gauntlet as you came in this morning as they joined with our Connect team to be able to, uh, to greet you as a church. Uh, but we have these as well as our website at metrolife.org that you can see what the different groups are that, being, that are being offered. And I, I just love the variety that we're beginning to see both in our community groups, those who are leading those groups, as well as the grow groups, just specific areas that we want to take some intentional time and dig into the Word of God and grow together as a church. Uh, you can begin to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, whether that's on an app or in a Bible. Uh, that's our text for today. But as we turn there, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge the beginning of the school year and take a moment and pray for the beginning of the school year. And, and I want to pray specifically in this way, uh, not just for our students, uh, not just for uh, the faculty that is there, the administration, the teachers, those who kind of make school happen. We're so grateful for all of them. I want to pray specifically for the impartation of wisdom, not knowledge. I want to pray specifically for that. So church, would you join me in praying for that? Lord, we thank you for education. We thank you for schools. We thank you for all of these things. They are good gifts from you. And Lord, we thank you for them this morning. Lord, we, we recognize that a gift of teaching is a spirit-born gift. And so, Lord, we thank you today for teachers. We thank you today for students who are going to learn. But, Lord, we, we don't just ask for the, the impartation of information. We ask for wisdom for life. So, Lord, for those teachers who are gathered here in our, in our midst, whether it's a public school, whether it's private school, whether it's homeschooling, Lord, we pray for the teachers in our church that they would help students understand godly wisdom. Lord, we pray for the students in our church. 
Not just that they would have passing grades, not just that they would excel, not, not actually any of those things, but Lord, that they would see your good design in creation, in science, in math, in, in the scriptures for those who are able to study as such. Lord, for all your good design and how your fingerprints are all over your creation. And Lord, let them have the boldness to stand as a witness for you, even as they are there to learn that they understand that they are also there as a witness of the Most High God. Lord, strengthen them for that. Lord, for those who make it happen around the campus, for, for the faculty, for, for all that, that, that help administrate the, the goings-on around a classroom and, and take care of the details in between the larger details. Lord, we pray for them to, to see what it is that they're facilitating. They are facilitating something that is good in your creation. That they are facilitating something that's good. And Lord, let them see mission opportunities even as they go about what seem like mundane tasks. Lord, let them never be given to the mundane. Let them be given to your mission and your call on their lives. Wherever they go. Lord, help all who gather here, teachers, faculty, students. Let them see not a campus, but a mission field. Let them see a mission field and, and burden their hearts with tremendous vision for the mission that you've called them to in this season. Lord, we pray for protection on campuses. Lord, we pray, whether it's through human intervention or divine intervention, that you would hold evil at bay on campuses. Lord, our hearts break at those moments. And, and for parents right now dealing with the fear of that, for parents dealing with the, the transition of a, a student into college, for parents dealing with this seasonal transition in life where something they may have had a sense of flourishing in is now going away, Lord, we pray that you would minister to them comfort, that they would see your calling on their lives. Their parenting days are not behind them. That call remains until you call them home. But Lord, give them wisdom even in this new season. Lord, we ask these things because we recognize in your church a variety of these things and, and even more than I've had uh, the opportunity to give thought to to even mention this morning. All of those things are going on and you minister perfectly in the midst of all of those circumstances. So Father God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. You would be near to the brokenhearted. You would strengthen those who feel weak. You would open the eyes of those who feel like they see dimly. You would open the ears of those who, who feel like they don't hear rightly. And Lord, that all of that would be a testimony to bring glory to you through the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Well, as we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I just want to acknowledge something that we are coming to the close of a summer series in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Today is the close of that. But, but here's my heart's desire is that this has really stirred something up in the church that will not come to a close until the Lord returns. But let me just say that again to make sure that we're all on the same page with it. I, I hope that what's happening in the midst of this series is that our hearts are stirred up in something in the church that we will continue to seek and pursue and earnestly desire and, and cry out that we can be filled until it is that the Lord returns for His church. Because just because we're coming to the end of this series doesn't mean that we're coming to the end of the call and the claims to be a Spirit-filled church that Scripture makes on us as a people of God. It's important for us to have that mindset because I think it's easy for us at times to kind of 
separate our faith out in, in silos or bento boxes or however it is you want to look at it, where we're, we're trying to make sure that the peas and the mashed potatoes don't touch. And God actually says, in this word, our instruction for the flourishing of the life of the church. Not to be done one at a time, but to be all together, because that brings glory to God. Now, there may be some of you that hear that and you just think, yes, bring the chaos. And then there are others that just sounds like a horrible idea to you because it's like decently in an order. Decently in an order. And I think Paul wants to actually bring the two together and see that they're complementary in the church. They do not compete with one another. And so today, as we turn to 1 Corinthians 14, let's see that how it is that God calls for clarity the clarity that order brings to the church because it bears witness to his glory and not ours. I think many of us are familiar with, through various types of media, whether that be a, a television show or a movie or something along those lines, the dramatic moment when a court is called to order. It, it may be because they're just trying to get the proceedings started and there's a sobriety that falls over the room. And it may be because something has happened in the room and everybody's a little bit stirred up and, and there's all this chatter kind of going on around the room, but the court is called back to order to draw attention to why it is that we've gathered here. And church, I was listening last week when Danny said, Chris, I hope you're listening. <laughs> the main thing for Metro Life Church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing that we gather together for. To proclaim the excellences of him who would lay down his life for any of us and redeem us and rescue us to be his people. That's the main thing for Metro Life Church. And I don't want this to sound belittling, but I want it to be helpful to hear this. What we are talking about in spiritual gifts are secondary issues. Now that doesn't mean less important. Actually, it means something very specific for when the church gathers together. It means it instructs the church for this, this gathering, this assembly. It, it instructs the church for the assemblies in community groups or, or in grow groups. It, it instructs the church in various ministries that meet together. What should that look like? What should be the focus of those times? But it's secondary because there is some room for disagreement even on some of these issues. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. But in this context, at Metro Life Church, what we've been seeking to do is to articulate what it is that we believe that God has called us to as a local church as it relates to being a spirit-filled church. And we believe that means a vibrant expression of the gifts of grace that God gives to His people to equip His church for works of service, to, to unify his church, to purify his church, to bring his church to maturity, to build up the people that make up the church. We believe that that is a vital part of the life of Metro Life Church. And so with that in mind, let's turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be one or two, at most three, 
and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Let's just pause there for a moment. You know, we've, we've spoken on the subject of prophecy uh, at some length. We have a grow class that continues to go on. I, I look forward to seeing many of you there tomorrow night. I had to miss last week because of travels. But I look forward to seeing many of you there tomorrow night. And I'm encouraged by the ways that people have been stirred up in those meetings. I'm encouraged by the ways that people have begun to even step out and operate in the gift of prophecy. I'm encouraged by those who have, who have received the gift of tongues. The testimonies that are coming out of that are powerful. About this relationship and how that adds a vibrancy to their prayer life and the relationship and the abiding that they believe that they're called to in the church. But Paul is kind of noting a couple of principles in these first verses. He's actually noting the the principle of participating in the church. Participating in the church. So when we come together, we should anticipate times like what we just had in worship. We should anticipate times that we will have opportunity to minister one to another. We We shouldn't just be expecting for that. We should be looking for those opportunities and listening for those opportunities as we gather together. So in other words, there's not a place for us just to to kind of bolt into those doors, bypassing everyone and not talking to one another. Bolt into those doors, have a seat, have nobody approach you, and then run out of them as soon as the service is over. See, see, that's almost a scared faith. That's almost this faith that just says, it's just me and Jesus. And I don't think in Jesus' church there's room for that type of thinking. I don't think there's room for the thinking of, I love me some Jesus, it's just people I can't stand. I think what God is calling us here to is an expectancy that comes in prepared for participation. If we were to call a church potluck this afternoon, I think many of us would be like, what the heck, Chris? How can we be prepared for that? You can't. You can't. You're not going to door dash the food to the church. You know what? It's so tempting to try it right now, but I'm not going to do that. We can't do that. You, you need some time to prepare, don't you? You need some time to give thought to that. Paul is setting out a spiritual potluck for us as a church when we gather together. Come in prepared to participate. Come in ready to, to share with others what it is that God's done in you. You know, some years ago, I remember us calling this gathering our Sunday celebration. Why is that? Because we were celebrating what it is that God had been doing in us and through us the remainder of the week. You know what that means? We're seeking God the rest of the week for Him to be doing something in us and through us. And how many of us have lost that perspective? When we walk out that door, something switches off in our mind, and all of a sudden, now we're just a world-filled church. May it not be so of MetroLife Church. We are a spirit-filled church when we're gathered together, and we are a spirit-filled church when we are in the workplaces or the campuses or, or, or wherever it is, the homes that we are called to, to be a witness of His glory. Paul wants the church to anticipate participation when they come together. You know, I've said it kind of in jest uh, before, 
that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision, I think that's actually a little bit, a little bit short-sighted. Sunday morning church, community group throughout the week, some of the different ministry areas that we have as a church, those don't exist just to fill up your calendar. They exist to equip you for the works of service that God has called you to. They don't exist for us to just count numbers, be a bunch of bean counters for the Lord. They exist for us to equip you to go out and do what God's called you to do. But Sunday morning, or those ministry opportunities are not a day of decision. They're not the day before decision. They are an everyday sacrifice of our lives before the Lord saying, I surrender to you. Use me as you will. See that as the common theme throughout Scripture. At what point do we ever see one of the heroes of the faith say, I'm just going to take a me day, God? I think we see condemnation for that. I think we see confusion come out of that. We should gather anticipating, participating. Worship, when we gather together, is not a spectator sport. It's something we all participate in together. What's the second principle that I believe that that Paul is drawing our attention to? He's wanting us to understand that when, when we gather together in a context like this, that there may be believers and unbelievers who are present. Everyone who is gathered together needs to be able to understand what is going on. You should be able to understand what is going on. We try to watch this in the pulpit in our language from the standpoint of talking about theological concepts, but, but explaining them in a way that, that everyone can understand. And sometimes we miss that. I'm grateful when people kind of ask questions about, you know, use this word. What does that mean? I think that means people are actively listening. There's something wonderful about that. But we actually try to, to, to be mindful of that in the pulpit because we're not assuming everybody knows. We're not all starting from the same starting point. So we try to take that into consideration for one another. How is it that, that Paul is drawing attention to this? Well, in this passage as well as others, we see this throughout Scripture, that when we gather together that we are called to bring these gifts that God has given us, a hymn, a song, a spiritual song, the, the way that we want the, the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly as Colossians tells us. All of these things we bring together so that they can be done in order for God to be praised. Now what's interesting is he doesn't provide that exact order. He gives some instruction you know, at most let two or three prophets go. Why is that? Well, there's a retention issue that we have. Sometimes I can't remember what one word is shared, let alone the first one by the time we hear the third one. Ever, anybody ever have that experience? Why is that? It's so that, the, it's so that we may all understand what it is that God is after in that moment. And He gives these gifts to work in complementary ways with one another. So that he is praised. You know, we, we actually see in this instance, in order to make any sense of it, if someone speaks in a tongue, it's necessary to let one interpret. I, I was with the church in Minnesota. They have a, a vastly different worship style than what we experience here. There's an instrument or two or none, and they just will literally call out a hymn and begin to sing it together. So being the jokester that I am, I thought, let me find a random one. So I said, I would like to, uh, I'd like to see if 
I was telling Tom this on the way in. I said, I'd, I'd love to see if I can call Life is Like a Country Railroad. I sang that song at my grandfather's funeral. I'd never heard it before. I had to look up a Johnny Cash version of it. It was super awkward. And I thought, this would be the perfect song to kind of trick the church with. And then Tom started singing the lyrics to it, and I was like, that takes the fun out of it. But there was something beautiful about their worship style because, see, it was everything that had been described to me. Because in my mind, I've led worship before. That sounds like chaos. What key? What tempo? What are we doing? I want to know the order. I want to know all these things. But then there was this wonderful yielding to one another that happened in that service. And you just realize this is beautiful. We're not going to that, but it was beautiful. I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear. See, when we gather together, Paul is making it clear that edification is the goal, not self-expression. Edification is the goal, not self-expression. And what I experienced in those meetings was edification. People would pray, and then they would say, what if we just sing this song? And people would just begin to sing, and it was beautiful. Oh, it was beautiful. Were they trying to glorify themselves? No. Were they just trying to have this moment of self-expression? No. They were glorifying God together. Let's continue to read in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I, I just want to pause and let that sink in before I continue to read this. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches. Danny, I thought I assigned this passage to you. (laughs) For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Lord, help us this morning. Understand your word rightly for your glory. You ever come across a part of the Bible and you just think, it really can't mean that. It just can't mean that. Maybe we feel that way about this passage. It can't mean that. I mean, it says it, but it can't mean it. And our, and our minds kind of begin to race in directions that maybe for some are unhelpful. And it, and it may seem like that's a comment that is kind of intended for the women of the church, but it's actually intended for the men too. See, if your mind begins to race as a man that this means that there's some type of authoritarian position that you have in the church, you're thinking wrongly about the Scripture. Submission and subjugation are not the same things. One's gross in the eyes of the Lord, and one's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. So how do we understand rightly? Well, we begin to consider other passages either in this text or from other texts and and i wonder this morning if it wouldn't be right for us just to hear the words of james 1 5 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives 
generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. You know, I wonder how many of us miss this crucial first step when it comes to understanding the Word of God. We start talking back to the Bible before we ask God for wisdom. Thank you, Caleb Stafford. I heard that. That was encouraging. May we be a people who seek wisdom as James instructs, James instructs us to do before we start talking back to the Bible. When we read difficult texts, may we be the ones that say, Lord, help me to understand this rightly. See, something in this passage doesn't sit quite right, does it? It's almost confusing when you think about even some of the things that we've been preaching up to this point. When you consider some of the things like where Paul is even saying that there are women who prophesy in the church, and then he says something like this. I think broadly we can understand that we've said a few times along the way that there is something going on in Corinth that we don't have all of the evidence of. Something is going on in Corinth, both culturally around the city, but it's infecting the church as well that Paul is seeking to address, but we don't have all of the information on it. Even through giving quite a bit of study over the last few months, uh, looking at this and knowing that this passage was coming up, knowing that these were the things that we wanted to be able to address within the church, knowing that our conviction is to preach all of God's Word, not picking and choosing as is comfortable for us. How is it that we, we rightly understand this? If I were to summarize broadly, I might say it this way. Paul is speaking to a specific instance in the Corinthian church that has a powerful cultural tie that we're not given all of the evidence of. But that doesn't release us from seeing this as part of God's instruction in the life of the church. It doesn't release us from looking at the Scripture and realizing God is making claims on all of us as the church to understand this and to live it out. So on the, on the surface, it almost sounds like it's a ban on women speaking in the church. But that can't be what Paul means. Because we've seen how he spent 15 verses in chapter 11 speaking about women praying or prophesying in the church service in a way that would be honoring to the Lord. So is he all of a sudden... These chapters later, coming to this place where he is confused by himself. No. No, if we look at 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we can see them as kind of, as this bracket that is put on this one segment that, that Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. Remember, Paul is responding to correspondence that has gone come from them, gone out from the church in Corinth, and now he is sending this back. And this is what we have captured for us in Scripture. What we don't have are any of the items that they were asking about. So we don't have all of the evidence. So how is it that we understand this rightly? Well, we, we compare this with what Scripture says in other areas to help us to understand. To help us to understand so he's spent much of his time. Now those chapters that he's talking about, 11 through 14, they come to this moment of crescendo, this apex where? 1 Corinthians 13 on divine love. Doesn't this all of a sudden seem out of place with divine love? Can't we just go back to that? No, these are still instructions for the church. 
Now, I think that there's a couple of different plausible explanations on these verses. One might be that Paul is prohibiting women from weighing of the prophecy, from being the ones that, that uh, as we see in verses 29 through 30, because that involves a, an eldership responsibility that Paul is limiting to them in the church in, in terms of a, of a governance of the meeting. Uh, the second might be that some women in Corinth were in the habit of interrupting their husbands and asking questions while they were prophesying, bringing shame on themselves in the process. And Paul's not allowing this because it's not submissive or honorable, honorable but it, it leads to something that's the opposite of peace. Remember, at the beginning of this section, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace is, is what we do have evidence of here in the Scripture. Several of the commentaries that I read referred to church services at times as chatty. And I thought, well, that might even be more offensive. They were chatty. And, and why was that? Because remember that in Corinth, kind of the high art of the day, what was, what was uh, a premium was put on was rhetorical abilities only the men would be allowed into the schools to learn those those rhetorical abilities those those uh, tricks and tips of the trade so to speak and so women at times would actually sit there and in order to retain the information they would repeat back what it was that they had heard and so several commentaries referred to church services in Corinth as chatty because what you had was the women in the service that they were just repeating back what they were hearing and what is Paul giving instruction to he wants to not limit the number of voices in terms of participation. He wants to put them in proper order so it is that God would be praised and glorified at the end of the day. I think in any of these scenarios, what is clear is that when Paul mentions the law, he's not talking about the laws of man. He's not talking about the law as it, as it relates to uh, what we see in Romans where he's talking about God's moral law. When he's talking about the law, he's talking about natural law that reaches back to the origins that we see captured in Genesis. He's reaching back in creation. He's saying from the beginning, what does God do? God speaks order into chaos. And here's where I want to just challenge us as a church. We were just singing and praising God for this work. The specific words we were singing was about how God comes into our lives and He speaks peace and order into the chaos and brokenness of our lives. He wants to do the same in our homes and our marriages as well. He, he's wanted to do that since the beginning. It's a part of His good design and His good plan for our good and for His glory that He be able to speak into the chaos of our lives. I think if we were to look around the world today, it would be easy for me to say uh, that all of the, the thoughts about men and women's relationships have not led to a sense of peace or of order. They have led to a greater chaos in our culture, and our society around us. Church, let's go about it God's way. This is a word that is true from one generation to the next. Until the Lord returns, this is how He's instructed us for His glory. Now when I'm talking about submission, 
I want to make sure that it's clear that submission does not give room for abuse or authoritarianism. See, women can and should participate in, in the worship service. In 1 Corinthians 11.5, it says that they should be a part of prayer and prophecy. Here, here at Metro Life Church, I trust that you hear that as a part of our prophetic team. I trust that you hear that at times through different prayers. I trust that you hear that even through the, the reading of the Scripture. We, we want to highlight the ways that women have been given by God and gifted by God to serve the church. Let, let me just draw your attention to something this morning. There's 13 groups listed in these community groups. Six of them, five of them, I can count, are led by women. Ladies, we need you for the glory of God to speak and to lead in this church. I can't say it any more plainly than that. Use the gifts that God has given you for His glory in His church. Use the things that God has laid on your heart that He's burdened your heart with. Use the experiences that you've walked through to build up and encourage and edify others. Help train young women in the gifts that God has given them as well. So they too, should the Lord tarry, serve His church well. I am grateful for the women who lead in Metro Life Church. I am grateful for the voice that they give. Yesterday I had an opportunity to see this. Yesterday morning I was at a baby shower. And I mistakenly said to Stephanie, this is the first baby shower I've ever been to. And she looked at me and she said, you were at your oldest son's baby shower. That was 22 years ago. I don't remember that. I do now. (laughs) What did I have the opportunity to observe? Rachel Price hosting a baby shower for a mother who chose life. Praise God. Heather Melchamp right there as our children's ministry director. The, the one who gives the, the, the facilitation, uh, you know, she, she facilitates what it is that's happening with the younglings as we gather here. It's beautiful. I just got to sit back and just be Chris because these ladies were serving and leading in those moments with excellence and in God-glorifying ways as they invited this mother into their stories and into their lives. I saw Patty Myers sitting there and just begin to talk about what it was like having twins. And, and instantly you saw the connection. This, this mom that we were celebrating had twins. Oh, it was beautiful. It was, some, it was a thing of beauty, church. And I want us all to be able to see those types of moments. But you know, there, there is a cultural consideration that we need to take into account here. In Corinth, not only were the men the only ones who were trained in the academy for rhetorical skills but it would have been illegal for a woman to confront a man in public what is it that god wants for his church clarity and order for his glory paul's primary point in writing to the church in corinth is twofold in first corinthians it's for the purity of the church and for the unity of the church so God here, through Paul, is not seeking to sow disunity into his own church. He's actually calling us back to something from his good design and creation. And it may seem like this passage is only written to the women. 
Women, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there's an admonishment in this for men. There's an admonishment for this in this passage for men. Men should be spiritual leaders in their homes. I don't care if she's been saved longer than you, if she prays better than you, if she studies more than you, be a man of the word. Be one who initiates not just romantic encounters, not just moments of life together, but initiates in the Word. Be a man who initiates spiritual things. I am not called to be your wife's spiritual husband. None of the leaders in this church are called to that. That's way above my pay grade. Why? That's your pay grade. Be a spiritual leader in your home, men. That's the admonishment to men. And it may be simple for us to think like, well, if I think about Ephesians 5, 25-27, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave herself up that she might sanct- he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the Word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Yeah, it does say that. Because you're laying down your life for your wife. The context of that passage is mutual submission in the church. Ephesians 5 and 6 make it clear that that is mutual submission in the church that brings glory to God. We okay to move on? All right. Verses 36 through 40. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Here, Paul is not acting as the Supreme Court judge. God is the supreme judge and ruler over his church. And he is calling us to order. Now, here's what I'm grateful for. This is not a word of correction for us as a church today. My hope is it has stirred some of the women in the church to to step up and be the leaders that God has called them to be. We want to make place for that as a church. My hope is that it's, it's stirring men up to be men of the word at home. Whatever that means. My gut tells me your wife will be blessed even if you just face the right direction and start reading your Bible on the regular. You might even change into a good husband for her. My hope is that we are stirred up as a church to pursue these things because it doesn't end when this series ends, or it doesn't end at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. These are some of my hopes for us as a church. But see, Paul makes it clear, the gospel didn't originate with the church in Corinth. If I were to put it this way to us today as a church, we are not the only church who has received the gospel. It's what makes it easy for us to partner in in local mission with some of the different churches that we do because we look to the main thing that calls us and draws us together. 
Remember, these are secondary issues that we're addressing today. There are secondary issues that we disagree on. There are some secondary issues that we've had fun mocking one another with. I mean that in jest. I mean that as something that is a camaraderie in the gospel that says it's okay for us to acknowledge the differences because we look to the same main thing in Jesus Christ. I don't mean that we're mocking one another's faith. But see, we're not the only ones that this gospel has reached, but we are working to speak directly to our specific context as a local expression of the body of Christ. We are seeking to give some instruction and some boundary lines to what we believe that God has called us to. We don't believe that God has just called us to something that, that we look at and just say, we are going to pursue chaos. Or we are going to pursue nothing but the perfection of order. Because I believe it is in the church that God has called something vibrant in the in-between. We administrate as a spiritual gift for the glory of God. And we submit those plans for His glory and say, have your way among us, even as we did this morning in worship. We want to find those moments to draw our attention to one who is greater than our circumstances. See, when we gather together, we can't just do our own thing. Anyone who ignores these words is ignoring themselves as a part of the body of Christ. Paul realizes that Corinth isn't the only church that exists. There are others around. And he's writing instructions to them as well. He's he's giving shape and mold to what? The church of Jesus Christ that will exist and it will stand until the day that He comes back for us as His glorious bride. You want to know where you're at in the redemptive history? We look back to the things that God spoke when He he brought chaos into order in, in the origin story in Genesis. We look back to that and we look forward to the day that He returns for a spotless bride. But we have a work to do today. And Christ has a work that He's doing in us today as He's purifying us for His purposes, as He's unifying us for His glory, as He's building us up to go and be a part of His mission, as we continue to fulfill the creation mandate, not just in the family units that we have called together, but in going and subduing the earth for His glory and expanding the kingdom of God. So no matter what season of life that you're in today, no matter what what stage of life that you're in, no matter how newly saved or how mature in the faith that you are, God has a purpose for you in this passage. Let's get to it, church. Let's get to it. Let's not just sit back and rest on our laurels and, and be at this place where we just say, my time has passed to do that. Not until Jesus returns. Not until then has your time passed. And even then you're going to have a job description. Oh, for century upon century you're going to praise His name. You, church, redeemed ones who are blood-bought, you have a glorious purpose no matter your season or stage of life. You can be a part of your Father's good work. Because God calls for the clarity of order in the church. Because it bears witness to His glory. You know, in conclusion, Paul, in conclusion, Paul says this, So my brothers, in verse 39, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. 
Seems like this crisp summary statement. Paul, why didn't you just start there in verse 11, or in chapter 11? You know why Paul didn't start there? It seems to me that as people, not only are we prone to forget, but we're kind of drawn to chaos, aren't we? It's, it's literally in our nature. It's in our sinful nature as people to be drawn to the chaos of the world, isn't it? And you may think like, I, I don't know, we seem fairly organized at home. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in our hearts and in our minds. Those, those hearts that need to be, the, the calluses to be removed from them. The minds that need to be renewed through the washing of the water of the word. Our hearts that need to be transformed for the things that drive us in this world. Not for the things of the world, but for the glory of God. We are drawn to chaos. And God wants to speak order in the midst of that because He's still creating something new in us and through us as His people. Isn't that amazing to think about? He's still doing a work in us and through us today. And oh, how we need His Spirit's power to be about that work. Oh, how we need the Spirit's power, not just to have the right words to say, but the right heart behind what we're saying. And the right mind that's attuned to the things of the Spirit so that God receives the glory and not any one of us as an individual. So that He alone receives the glory. So as we bring 